0: following is a presentation of the Church of the Living God in Traverse City, Michigan. Well, thanks for joining us this morning. If you saw the things we've been posting this week, you know we're making that shift to meeting in here for probably what's going to be about eight to ten weeks, and you'll probably see some more changes as time goes on. This was just getting us into this room this week so that we can make this service work here before Christmas. And so we'll continue to make some changes as time goes on here. Um, But thanks for joining us this morning. I think I mentioned, uh, well, no, I made a video yesterday that I didn't actually post as a video because my wife talked me out of it, which is probably wise. Uh, It felt like doing cozy church. So that's going to be my new phrase for this. Yeah, it's doing cozy church. It's living room, right? Wear your pajamas. We're good. So. Uh, I'm going to begin this morning with a short reading from Isaiah chapter 9, which is one of the passages that has to do with uh, with Advent. Uh, wait, I should notice something else before I forget. There is kids' church this morning, um, and there is seating on the other side there in that lobby. So I'll just note both of those things. If you're not quite sure where to go, you can go both places. You can be as mobile as you need to be. Uh, it's all good. And Pete's bringing some more stuff here. So, all right. This is Isaiah chapter 9, beginning in verse 2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light, and on those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You, that is God, have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at harvest. For you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, and the bar across their shoulders, and the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle, every garment rolled in blood, they'll be destined for burning. The warfare's over. For to us a child is born, and to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called a wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and prince of peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Today we light the Advent candle for joy. Uh, Pardon us if we don't actually light an Advent (laughs) candle this week. too soon, right? (laughs) Flame retardant (laughs) curtains. So we've got four candles up here. So imagine me lighting one. So the candle we're lighting this week is for joy. And this is called the shepherd's candle I discovered this week because of the angels appearing to the shepherds and saying good tidings of great joy. And then we talk about Jesus as the gift of God that brings joy into the world. And then the apostle Paul later writes that God the Father through the Holy Spirit gives us the gift of joy because of the spirit inside of this. And in fact, he writes in 2 Corinthians, e- because of this joy, even if we're full of sorrow, we can rejoice, which those words are very similar. The joy in the Bible often has to do with the expression of rejoicing. In John sixteen twenty two, Jesus said, you have sorrow now, but I'll see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. So if you were to ask me how to find joy, I think I'd say it this way. Joy is given by God the Father through the Holy Spirit, but joy is found in the person and the presence of Jesus. So if we want to see joy, we see Jesus. And that's what we're going to do this morning is look more closely at the one who brings us joy. I don't really have any announcements this morning other than Christmas is this week. Okay, let's carry on. So I discovered something that many of you might already know this last week, and that is chickens can't see in the dark. And I discovered this. So I have these four little bantam chickens, which are just adorable. Um, if you've got any questions, I have pictures in my phone. I, I currently have more pictures of my chickens than I do of my kids. <laughs> but I one day I was inside, and I heard one of these chickens just really loudly squawking. So I thought, maybe it's in trouble. So I go outside, and it's not in trouble at all. It's in the shed. And I walk into the shed, and it's just... I'm not going to try to make a chicken noise. Is there anyone here who can? What kind? Just any chicken. Noise. I mean like a distressed chicken scream. Yeah, thank you, Julie. Um, for those of you watching online, this was an admirable replication of a chicken screaming. And so I go in and I would made a little section of my shed where the chickens are supposed to stay and roost, et cetera, and they rarely do. But now that the weather is bad, they're being forced to use the things I made for them finally. So there's this one chicken standing there and it's pretty dark actually. I I look over because there's a wall and and it's just like making this distressed noise. And I realized just like four or five feet to the left, all the other chickens are sitting right there. And this chicken though is just going nuts. So I turned the light on and I walk in and I kind of scooch him toward the other chicken. Oh, and then he was fine. So I went and looked it up because I just thought birds could see in the dark and no, chickens can't see in the dark. So that was good to find out. And I I realized my chickens need light. Otherwise, they're kind of paralyzed. They don't know what to do, and they they get very afraid. So that's not a story you expected to hear as part of an Advent sermon, but I'm establishing a pattern, so stick with me. As a kid, um, I was terrified of the dark. I was one of those kids who would take a running jump to get onto my bed at night. Anybody else? Please, somebody. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Uh, and then, at night, if the door was shut and there was no light, I was I was not good. I had to have a night light. I had to have a light, a door open. I did not like being alone in the dark, and there was something about being in the dark where my imagination went wild. I was sure there was monsters in my closet or something under my bed. I mean, under the bed was the big one, but um, it never got me because I jumped, so that 's the good news but I, I needed light because I had all these imagined fears. And in the darkness, any of those fears could have potentially come true, or at least that's what it felt like. So then, living here in northern Michigan, I've discovered that once you endure a week of gloomy winter, I mean, if the sun peeks through the clouds even just a little bit, it just feels like life is new. I realized a couple years ago, I had probably lived, well, no, I shouldn't say lived here too long. I laugh because I grew up in the south and my wife grew up in the south. And so we make jokes about acclimating to Michigan. It's 30, and it's been gloomy all week, and the sun comes out, and I'm driving through town with my windows down, like, woohoo, And I, I felt like something had really broken inside of me at that point. But there's something about that light breaking through, and everything changes. Um, you start showering again. And, uh, yeah, I mean... There's just something about that. So this light versus darkness imagery is something that we see all the time. You know, it's in all kinds of areas of life. So it's a pattern that's kind of a grade in creation, and it's a pattern that you see ingrained in Scripture as if almost God had orchestrated the whole thing. So you get the initial command of Genesis, let there be light. It's the classic idea that here was this existence. There's darkness and chaos, and it's formless, and it's this void, but the Spirit of God moves over the darkness, because this god does not settle for darkness and then let's skip ahead thousands of years and you have the shepherds at the field in the field at night and into the darkness comes the light of the angels glory to god in the highest because this god won't be announced without dispelling some darkness and then the wise men come from the east and they need a sign And if you go back to Genesis, once again, it's another pattern in the Bible that when you go east of Eden, it's trouble. So here's the wise men in the east, and they're in the dark, and so God sends a light, because this God will make a way for those who live in darkness, in this case to guide them to what John says is the true light, which comes into the world and enlightens everyone. So any advent or arrival in which God's evolved may begin in darkness. We talked about that last week, but it's going to end in light. So I've been fascinated this year, and I mentioned this last week. I'll just say it again. I've been fascinated this year by studying Advent as the apocalypse, right, the unveiling. And this idea that part of what makes the glory of the Advent news and the beauty of the light so great is that we see the darkness that we've been saved from. And I mentioned it a little bit last week when we looked at the Old Testament. And I just want to go back into the book of Isaiah, because it really establishes how God's people were in the darkness. And so as they get the promise of the light, why it was such a big deal to them that there was hope. So I'm going to start in Isaiah 58. We're going to take our time working our way there this morning because I think we want to establish the reality of what God can do because there's implications for our own lives as well. So Isaiah 58, Isaiah is talking on behalf of God, and he says this. Tell my people about their wrongdoing. Hold nothing back. My people have failed to do what is right. They pretend to want to learn and what I teach as if they are indeed a people good and true, as if they hadn't really turned their backs on my directives. They even ask me as though they care about what I want them to be and do as if they really want me in their lives. And the people respond. Well, why didn't you notice how diligently we fasted before you We humbled ourselves with pious practices, and you paid no attention. Kind of bold, accusing God of not being able to see. So God responds, I have to tell you, on those fasting days, all you were really seeking was your own pleasure. Besides, you were busy defrauding people and abusing your workers. Is a true fast simply some religious exercise for making a person feel miserable and woeful? Is it about how you bow your head like a bent reed, or how you dress in sackcloth? And where you sit in a bed of ashes, is this what you call a fast? A day the eternal one finds good and proper? So it's not looking good at this point. God's telling his people through the prophet Isaiah, I'm pretty unhappy. And the people are like, "Uh, hello, we've been fasting. You apparently didn't see it. And God's like, yeah, it was disgusting. So Isaiah offers what looks like good news here. It's a solution. This is uh, God speaking again. What I want in a fast is this. To liberate those tied down and held back by injustice. To lighten the load of those heavily burdened. To free the oppressed and to shatter every type of oppression. A fast for me involves sharing your food with people who have none. Giving those who are homeless a space in your home. Giving clothes to those who need them and not neglecting your own family. Great. So, so, there's a plan. If you're like me, I like action steps. If you've identified a problem, give me a solution that I can walk through. So here comes the first reference to light. Then, says God, then your light will break out like the warm golden rays of a rising sun. And in an instant, you will be healed. Your rightness will precede and protect you. The glory of the eternal will follow and defend you. Then when you do call out, my God, where are you? The eternal one will answer, I'm here, right here. If you remove the yoke of oppression from the downtrodden among you, If you stop accusing others, if you do away with mean and inflammatory speech, if you make sure the hungry and oppressed have all that they need, then your light will shine in the darkness, and even your bleakest moments will be bright as clear day. So that sounds really good. Except for the if. If you do these things, your righteousness will be amazing. So let's keep reading. The very next thing. This is God speaking again. Your persistent wrongdoing has come between you and your God, since you constantly reject and push God away. He had to turn aside and ignore your cries. Their thoughts are bent toward injustice. Destruction and trouble line the roads of their lives. They never travel the path of peace. No justice is found where they've been. They set a course down crooked roads. No one who follows their lead has a chance of knowing peace. That's a pretty sobering no one who follows their lead has a chance of knowing peace. So I think it's pretty clear it didn't happen. God says, if you can do these things, your brightness, your light will shine. The problem is they can't do these things. I mean, and it's obvious in hindsight, right? I mean, we look at the scripture and we know that time after time, God is making clear your, our righteousness, our attempts of doing things, it's like filthy rags, right? We have to have God doing it. But this is us going back into a story that's kind of unfolding in real time. What seems to be good news to the Israelites, listen, if you can pull yourself up by your own righteous bootstraps, the light will shine. Yeah, except no, can't do that. And I have this tendency, I think, to look back at the Israelites and go, what were you thinking? But I realize, I feel like this is something we all wrestle with. We like the idea of, that we can be the ones that can change our lives and can change the world just on our own power. So we go to a job and we're in trouble and they say, listen, if you can control your attitude and you can handle the customers better and maybe show up on time, all will be well. Yeah, I got this for two weeks and then it's not. Or someone says, listen, if you curb your addictions, your marriage will survive. Your marriage might even thrive. You go, yeah, I can do this. For a month, or for two months, and then we're back into the routine when we try to do it on our own. Uh, You say, listen, um, if you struggle with pornography, just learn how to bounce your eyes. Just learn not to look. Yeah. For four or five days. Or we hear, listen, if you figure out your identity in Christ, then your depression, your shame, your negative self-talk, your anxiety, your loneliness, it'll all go away. You go, all right, self-help. I can do this. I can figure out my identity in Christ. The if is such a loaded word. If you can do it, all will be well. I think a lesson that every Christian has to learn is that we can't. We can't. I mean, on our own. We're getting to the good news, right? But what this is establishing right here in Isaiah is, um, no, even if you think that you can work and that there's something inherently built within us that will somehow, on our own power, bring light to the world. It's just not going to happen. And the people of Israel figured this out. Let's keep reading. Well, that's why we can't make things right. Good and true can't gain any ground on us. We look earnestly for a bright spot, but there isn't even a glimmer of hope. It's darkness all around. We're left to stumble along, grabbing at whatever seems solid, like the blind finding their way down a strange and threatening street. In broad daylight, where we should have sight, we stumble and we fall as in the dark. We're already like the dead among those brimming with health. We growl like bears and moan like doves. I'm not sure what that means, but they're not happy sounds. We hope that maybe, just maybe, it will turn out all right, but it doesn't. We look for liberation, but it's too far away. And honestly, at this point, it sounds a little bit like complaining. Like God says to his people, well, yeah, it's not working. And they're going, what do you expect? Look at this world you gave me. This world's terrible. It's dark and it's cold and it's bitter. And you, you see everything they just said here. We stumble. We can't even see where our liberation is. Like, we're practically already dead. In some ways, I think it's a cry for where are you? What Isaiah says later is, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. We talked about that last week. So it it seems like the first reaction is for people to kind of get defensive and go, listen, you don't know my life, God. You don't understand what I've been given. But then there's a turn. That's a very important turn. And this is the turn to repentance. Let's keep reading. For our wrongdoing runs too deep before you, Our sins stack up against us, sure evidence of our guilt, for our offenses are always with us. They're insidious and lasting, as you know. Our guilt says it all. We know it too. We took you for nothing and did just the opposite of your commands. We broke our promises to you. We ignored and rejected you. We hatched up schemes to oppress others and rebel, to twist the truth for our gain, while presenting it as an honest-to-God fact. What justice calls, we turn it away. Righteousness knows to keep its distance. Righteousness knows to keep its distance from us. For truth stumbles in the public square, and honesty is not allowed to enter. There's no truth-telling anymore, and anyone who tries to do right finds he is the next target. All right, so now they've reached a point where they've stopped going, this might be your fault to going, uh, okay, I see. Um, everything I touch breaks. My sins stack up against me. They're insidious, and they're lasting. I didn't take you seriously. Uh, I hatch schemes. I turn away justice. Is that the point now where righteousness just keeps its distance from me? So now Isaiah steps out of the dialogue, and he makes an observation about how God responds To a people, even though it started as kind of a defensive complaint, and it moves into confession. And that's the key, because what starts as self justification moves into repentance. Our sins stack up against us. So, Isaiah moves on to the only if then scenario that has power, and that is if my people humble themselves and repent. That's a different passage, but if my people humble themselves and repent. So it's not us fixing our brokenness. It's us submitting to God's work. So back to Isaiah. So Isaiah steps out of the dialogue, and now he's giving commentary. It's true. The eternal one saw it all and was understandably perturbed at the absence of justice. God looked long and hard, but there wasn't a single person who tried to put a stop to the injustice and lies. So God took action. His own strong arm reached out and brought salvation. His own righteousness, good and pure, sustained him. But God's equipment was that of no ordinary warrior. He strapped on righteousness as his breastplate and put on the helmet of salvation. Hey, recognize that language? That shows up later. Wrapped in vengeance for clothing and passion as a cloak, God prepared for war. And finally, God determined they must get what they earned, fury to those who oppose him and vengeance against those who are opposed to him. So to the ends of the known world, God will go to render justice. This is how people from east to west will come to respect the name and, honor, name and honor the glory of the eternal, for he will come on like a torrential flood driven by the eternal's winds. The Redeemer will come to make Zion right again, to rescue those of Jacob's holy line who turned their backs on wrongdoing. This is what the Holy One declares. Okay, so this is good news and bad news. The good news is God's going to bring justice. He doesn't sit back and look at the world and go, well, you guys aren't doing your job, so you're on your own. God steps into history. His own mighty arm will step in. So that's good news. The bad news is his own people are the problem in this story. So if God really is going to bring justice to everybody who deserves justice, it's everybody. But then there's good news. He's going to rescue those who repent and turn back to him. And in fact, he is going to orchestrate they're repentant. It's not God waiting for them to drum up their own spirit of repentance. God knows the solution is repent and turn to me, and so God helps people to do that. Remember, if God calls you to do something, he equips you to do something. If God calls you to repentance, he equips you for repentance. So let's keep reading. This is my covenant promise to them. This is God speaking now. My spirit, which rests on and moves in you, and my words which I have placed in you will continue to be spoken among you and move you into action. That is God orchestrating the repentance that's needed. And not only you, but it will be so for your children and their children too and so on through the generations for all time. And now we move into this, this classic paragraph that you hear quoted at Advent. You wondered, well, we're going to get to an Advent theme on this. Here we go. Arise and shine, for your light has broken through. The eternal one's brilliance has dawned upon you. See truly, look carefully. Darkness blankets the earth, and people all over are cloaked in darkness, but God will rise and shine on you. The eternal's bright glory will shine on you, a light for all to see. That's how Malachi ends, well, close to the end. It says, for those who revere my name, um, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays. I want to revisit something from these verses. The the first word is arise. The idea here here is, what are you doing staying down? Like, if you feel the darkness is oppressing you and pushing you down, and I don't know what it feels like in your life, but there can be a couple responses. One is to kind of just be beaten down and to give up. Um, That's part of the arise. God's people aren't meant to be beaten down. Uh, It could be that we have just dove into evil. That's also something we have to rise out of. So whatever the situation, whatever the response to the darkness in the world, the first thing is arise. A couple months ago, we did some messages about lifting our heads up. I don't know if you remember this or not. This idea that God is the kind of person who comes to you when your head is down. Dan, do you mind if if I touch your beard for a second? Okay, thanks. How about us... Actually, Dan, can can you come up here for a second? Because otherwise I'll go out of the camera. So this was the image that was used before. If you look down, Dan, like you're just covered in shame, the image in the Bible is lift up your head. And the image is of God coming to us and going, stop it. Lift up your head. Thank you, Dan. (laughs) That was all orchestrated just because there's no other way Dan would let me touch his beard. This is the image of Scripture, that when we're beaten down by the world and wherever we are, if you're curled up in a ball, it's God standing you up and going, arise, lift your head up. You're child of God. So that's the arise. The shine is an interesting one. Um, Depending on your translation, they're going to say very different things about this because it could say, arise, be in the light, for your light has broken through. It could read, arise become light for your light has broken through shine almost makes it sound like we've got a flashlight that we just haven't turned on and now it's time for us to shine that's not the image here so around my yard i have these solar lights and so during the day they're in the light and they soak up the light and at night when the darkness comes they shine i think that's the immature. Arise. Be in the light so that you soak up the light so that you can shine into the darkness of the world. Arise, shine, for your light has broken through. Once again, not Anthony's light, but my light, Christ, has broken through, and as I am in that light, it soaks into me, and now I can't help but pass on that light into a dark world. The eternal one's brilliance has dawned on you. Darkness blankets the earth, people are close in darkness, but God will rise and shine on you. It's a prophetic passage. It's pointing to the birth of Christ. Christ will rise and shine on you. And here the prophet Isaiah is speaking to the people of Israel. But I think there's an important reality that transfers into our lives. Okay, so we're not in exile in Babylon as a people, right? That's where the Israelites were. And they geographically and politically and very practically, culturally, they're in exile. They're a ruled and a beaten and broken people, at least it feels like it to them. And Isaiah is reminding them, listen, your light is coming. Your light is coming. Jeremiah tells them that. Malachi tells them that. Over and over the prophets say, your light is coming. I will do something for the nation of Israel. But I think there's a fair application to be made because now we're the, we're the people of God, the church is the people of God. And so you could certainly apply this principle in countries and places where the church is under tremendous persecution, places like Iraq right now. But I, I think it's okay to make an application that has to do with our lives because we live in this world of darkness. And we've all experienced this darkness in some fashion, this, the oppression of the sin around us the oppression of the results of the choices we make in our own sin. I mean, we all know the darkness, right? We've all tasted it. We've all contributed to it. We all know this. And I think it can be so easy, and let's just be honest, 2020 has just been quite the year. I mean, it felt like a stage fire. It's just a fitting way to wrap up the year. And then someone reminded me, it's not over yet. like, oh, Great but i just know from my own experience and from talking with a lot of you that this has just been a year of this has been a year of hardship and that's everything from figuring out how to do church life together with a group of people that have remarkably different opinions about how to do church life together during covid it's doing life together in a political environment that is just remarkably divisive it's watching businesses struggle it's maybe watching your own finances struggle, depending what kind of business you're in. It's watching the lid come off on simmering tensions with your family and friends that they could keep simmering when the going was good, but not in 2020. And now suddenly, there's all these tensions and these things coming up that we're like, oh. And then if um, if surveys and stories are any indication, it's depression and it's anxiety and it's, there's just so much going on this year and it's a year where the idea that the darkness of the world is a real thing really feels real. So can I just say to you, on, on behalf of God through the prophets, arise, arise, the people of God, you're not meant to stay down. Right, we know there's valleys and shadows and death. We know this. But we're not meant to stay there. Though I walk through them, though I walk through them, I fear no evil. You're with me. I'll be comforted. So the first thing is what God offers to you, this light that rises in your darkness is you are not meant to stay down as a child of God. Right? So the first thing is arise, lift your head up. Maybe you're beating yourself up this year because you just think I could have done this better. This being just about anything in 2020. Lift your head up. Lift your head up. It's okay to acknowledge it. I mean, yeah, don't look away from it. Don't ignore it. Acknowledge it, but lift your head up. You too can feel Dan's beard. All right, so lift lift your head up. If you're having trouble doing it, listen, prayer. I mean prayer that the Holy Spirit reminds you of your status as a child of God. Let that, pray that it feels real. I mean, we know it's real because we have Scripture. Uh, Pray and ask God for that gift of grace that lets you taste and see the goodness of the Lord in this part of your life, right? And if you're having trouble, link arms with some close Christian friends and just say, I'm I'm having trouble lifting my, my head up and they will help you Lift your head up, right? They have the Holy Spirit too, right? And and now I'm going to get to the second part, shine. So this includes prayer, once again, praying that just as God's word and his spirit fill you and indwell you, that you will grow to understand the reality of what it means that Christ is in us, that's a supernatural gift. That is not something you're going to reason your way to. That is something that God is going to do for you as a gift of grace. So pray for that. The second thing is soak up the word of God. Just soak up the word of God. I mean, this is light, right? When you're in the darkness, you just soak this up. And then once again, link arms. Link arms with the people of God talk with them, share your stories, your testimonies of what God is doing, how he's been faithful, how there is hope, right? So this is, first was the arise, and the second then is the shine, and that shine is not me trying to find my own flashlight that I click on, it is me sitting in the light of the sun. The longer I sit there, the more it it just becomes part of who I am, and now into the darkness, the light of Christ spreads. Not the light of me, not the light of you, but the light of Christ spreads into the darkness. God will rise and shine on you. He did that in the person of Jesus. That's, that's the first advent. And the eternal's bright glory will shine on you and it'll be a light for all to see. Uh, we're not gonna go through the rest of my notes this morning. I think I wanna do them next week. Because I want to talk about the implications about us being a light for all to see. Kathy, arise and shine. Your light has come. Dakota, arise and shine. Your light has come. Now you're all nervous. (laughs) I want it to feel personal. I want it to feel personal. Light has come. Your light. You have to sit in the darkness. This is the joy unspeakable and full of glory that we sing about. This has been a presentation of the Church of the Living God. For more information, please visit us at clgonline.org.